This episode of See Here goes out to Johnny Too Bad in the memory of Alan Vega. Rest in peace. number 30 of the See Here podcast. This is a show where we talk about films that have music somehow, some way, as part of the subject matter of the film. And as ever, I'm joined by my two wonderful friends. First of all, in Seoul, Korea, Mr. Tim Merrill. Good evening. Howdy. How you doing? And over in Bath in the UK, post-Brexit. Good morning, Mr. Bernard yeah. Stickwell. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Morris. Good morning. <laughs> well, we're a topical podcast as well. Of course, some people are not going to listen to this until 2021 when I don't even want to predict, even though I have seen their future. Yeah, we'll all be living in a radioactive wasteland battling mutants by that point, I think. So. We, we will be vindicated by history. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we're here tonight to speak about a very, very important film. The first major film, first uh, full-length film, as I understand it, to come out of Jamaica in 1972. Mm-hmm. And it is Tim's Bick. So that film is... The Harder They Come, Perry Hensel. Classic 1970 cult film starring one Mr. Jimmy Cliff. Really, really looking forward to that. I was um, telling you guys before that I spent part of today trying to go find some Jamaican beer so I could uh, have a bit of a drink, have a bit of a celebration <laughs> while we record. But uh, unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be any Jamaican beer distributed in Australia. I mean, there was lots of Jamaican rum, but I'm not really a rum drinker. You didn't manage to find any other uh, Jamaican sort of relaxation type substances, Morris, that you uh, could substitute for beer. The herb, man! No, I couldn't, unfortunately. No, I'm... Um, not an imbiber of the health product. So, uh, uh, no, just, just the You're, just you're the too old beer. to be hanging around those back alleys as well nowadays, aren't you? I am, I'm, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, what we're going to do at this point in time is we're going to have a listen to the trailer for the film The Harder They Come. And uh, if you're in Australia, I can advise you that if you go to the uh, SBS website, sbs.com.au, to their film streaming part of their site, The Harder They Come is available on SBS streaming, which is exciting stuff. You don't need to be a subscriber. Subscribe completely free. If uh, you're from overseas and you find that you're locked out because you're not in Australia, then hopefully you have a proxy or some other way to dig in, or maybe you have some other way of finding hold of the film. It is definitely well worth watching. Oops, I've given away something there. But uh, have a watch of it, then have a listen to us, or do it the other way around. We don't mind. We're very democratic here at See Here Podcast. Anyway, we're going to have a listen to the trailer, and we'll be back and have a bit of a talk, and maybe even a bit of a scene. You're listening to this. No, that's not going to happen. And maybe a bit of a smoke. (laughs) That might might happen. <laughs> You're listening to See Here, episode 30. From the top of the hit parade to the top of the most wanted list, he made them all. He crawled out of shantytown, fighting his way to the top. With this dream came the raw world of crime, anger, and love. 
the harder they come, tells it like it is. When the dream becomes reality and life becomes hell on earth. succeed at last mm. and we're back from break morris here in melbourne tim over there in seoul and bernie in buff and we're here talking about the 1972 film directed by one mr perry henzel called the harder they come jamaica's first full-length feature film so directed by perry henzel written by perry henzel and starring one mr jimmy cliff who i believe was also something he was already a superstar by the time that he made this film is that not true mm-hmm. big time i'm gonna say apparently uh, perry henzel the, the film was in development anyway and that they were kind of looking at someone to star in the film and perry henzel came across a jimmy cliff album which had a photo of him on the front and then a different photo of him on the back and just from that perry henzel kind of thought you know this guy can obviously you know he looks like a different person on the back it's he's got a range of looks and interests and emotions or whatever and uh, he'd be really good on screen Mm. and that's why they approached him apparently so didn't perry henzel actually say to him you know what i think you're a better actor than you are musician that was in that documentary it was uh, yeah it's it's very very interesting Mm. it was a a terrific little uh, behind the scenes thing this one was really really good Um, oh yeah. yeah Sigma. Yes. I wonder your grandmother. What a little Grandma dead. Dead? Dead? Oh, she came dead and I never know. We tried to get you, but the telegram came back. And when she going to bury? She bury her already, Mom. Bury her already? Bury her already and I never get to go to the funeral? The, the first time I really heard about this film was um, years and years ago. Before the days of the internet, I used to uh, peruse the stacks in my library to find information on the things that piqued my interest. And uh, I used to pull out a lot of film books out of the library. And one of the books that really I still consider one of my essential Bibles of cinema is uh, a book called Cult Movies by Mr. Danny Peary. And he listed some of the most essential cult movies of the, the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, and, and one of the big ones was The Harder They Come, and I had never really given it much consideration. I was more into the horror stuff at the time, but then, a number of years later, there were a couple of cinemas in Toronto where they would run films on the weekend, all-nighters, you know, like the Zeppelin uh, song remains the same and Eraserhead, Enter the Dragon, and stuff like that, and one of the films I remember actually ducking into the blur and checking out was The Harder They Come. And I actually saw it on a double bill with uh, Rockers, another Jamaican film that came out later on. And it blew my mind initially that both of the films actually had subtitles <laughs> because, you know, they were speaking English, but it was in a form of English I had never heard before. Sure, yeah. But yeah. Um, when I saw uh, The Harder They Come initially, there was a couple of things that hit me first off is that when you see Saturday Night Fever, that film is known more predominantly as far as I'm concerned for the soundtrack than for the film itself. 
Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, the harder they come, it's the same way, which it, it, it's unfair. But, you know, I think no spoilers, but I, I love this film to death cinematically as well as the soundtrack. And I'll go even as far as to say that this is probably my favorite soundtrack of all time, okay. uh, without, all a, right. without a doubt. This film to me is so groundbreaking in that it sets a standard for so many different things. For example, the gangster film. Now, here here's an interesting thing that a lot of people might not consider Melvin Van Peebles mm-hmm. with uh, Sweet Sweet Back. That actually was released a year after this film. And when you okay. look at the whole plot of Sweet Sweet Back, it's about a guy in inner city America dealing with the cops and trying to struggle and get by. And he becomes, you know, the, kind of the public enemy number one, you know, that way. And I'm not saying it was a ripoff at all. Van Peebles ripped it off. But I think that he was completely influenced by this film. And I think also that a lot of the films that came out afterwards in America, like Boys in the Hood, New Jack City, a lot of the gangster films that came out in in America with the hip-hop soundtracks and all of that, I think that this is the granddaddy of them all, and that this film was the one that set the groundwork for everything to follow. You said it was about, you know, the same time or a year later, and given that this is like the first film to come out of Jamaica, we'll probably get more into this. This was based on an actual criminal called Rigan. Right. With the exception of the music thing, which was developed just because Jimmy Cliff was in it, but I'd say, you know, as well in America when you know Sweet Sweetback had come out it was all part of that not just a black exploitation movement but that whole thing you know the Hayes Code having been lifted and crime right. and violence could be depicted far more realistically and there was that whole golden period of crime films in America so it was all part of this zeitgeist it was all born sure, in, yeah, into, yeah. A, into an environment sure. I think it's interesting though Tim I mean you can saying that I mean this was obviously a hugely influential film but the, you know the story is almost kind of Robin Hood he's kind of like the people's hero I was going to say as well I mean you could go back to you could draw a line from this back to something like White Heat oh that's what I was going to say Edward Robinson the public enemy and all the original yeah yeah absolutely absolutely. but I think that this was the first definitive film that really kind of marked the anti-hero with the soundtrack like Morris said it it was definitely it kind of caught the zeitgeist of the time everything just kind of clicked and fell into place and this was the perfect representation of that yeah Bernie you went and said there he was the people's hero the Robin Hood and we should probably yeah. outline what the plot is in a minute I actually did make a comment about Robin Hood in my notes here but I, I sort of see him as the anti-Robin Hood because you know whereas the whole notion of Robin was sure, to be, yeah. to be you know, steal from the rich give to the poor well yeah sure Ivan in the film he steals from the rich to give to the poor but the poor is himself he's very narcissistic right. he's is been it, done wrong but he's in it all for himself this film is actually pretty timely and pretty relevant still in the fact that Jimmy Cliff he just wants to be famous he wants everyone to know about him he wants to be a big pop star he just wants fame and uh, you know that kind of thing has only uh, grown hasn't it over the years I mean you know in society as a whole it's you know that's uh, what people want out of life they want to be famous they don't necessarily want to be respected or thought of positively or whatever they just want people to know who they are right this story is not really you know exclusive to Jamaica the plot it's basically about the prodigal son who comes home and out of the 
country and he basically tries to reestablish himself in the city and he's finding difficulty in every step of the way in trying to grab the brass ring yeah. so to speak to get by to survive and then he, he finds that the ways that he thinks he can survive they're not really um, working out for him so then he actually winds up becoming a uh, more of an urban legend he becomes more of a community hood he becomes a legendary outlaw in the city and that's where he winds up gaining his notoriety which uh, eventually will bring him to his downfall simply put i was speaking with hank hellman online maybe about an hour before we all came on to discuss and he was saying i'm looking forward to hearing the episode i said to him that i thought that this film in some ways would have been an influence and you've already gone and mentioned i think you know tim there about boys in the hood but i, I can sort of think that a film that plays a very strong part of see here mythology uh, hustle and flow i don't see that the character yep. in that film is too dissimilar from ivan in right uh, yeah well, there's, the harder they come there's more ways that this film is an influence too aside from the soundtrack i mean they for example, there's a moment in this film when he's actually sitting in a theater watching Django. Right. Yes, and yeah. to me, that really, uh, to me, was an influence on a film like Cinema Paradiso. Okay. Where, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, where I, they're sitting there and everybody's, that, yeah, yeah. everybody's laughing and they're watching the film and that kind of thing. It's interesting as well, without giving anything away, the scene at the end, how that right. kind of uses the, the scene where, you know, Ivan is uh, in the cinema watching Django and the kind good of guy. The reaction shots of the audience, how they're there watching it and right. so on. And then what happens to Ivan at the end of the film is also kind of intercut with, yep. you know, him in the cinema watching that. Yep. Quite kind of Absolutely. meta and quite interesting. That works really well. Sure. The thing that they do in this film that's really influential in a lot of other films and, and I think this is the first film I've seen this done where it establishes this trope is where Ivan's getting the portraits of himself with his guns out and he's getting those snapshots those glamour shots he goes to a photographer to get that done and he's just right, like right. brandishing his guns at the photographer but how many, film, how many films have you seen where you've actually seen that scene done over and over and over? And I can think of Absolutely. one in particular was uh, Natural Born Killers. There's a scene when yeah, Woody Harrelson yeah. and, and uh, what's her name, Juliette Lewis, are standing there with their guns. But that shot's been done over and over and over and over. But I'm thinking that that initially, the one with Jimmy Cliff, I just love that snap of him with the hat on, with the guns out. I mean, that yeah. is just so iconic. But there's just so many bits and pieces of this film that are uh, very influential like for everything that came afterwards you know you want to go and beg work for ten dollars a week for the rest of my life I'd rather die. Can I talk a little bit about the opening of the film? Sure. like how the film sets the scene. i, I got to say, I'm a big fan where the opening shot of a film is showing an environment and it's, it's like the quiet before the storm. So, you know, actually only like a few days, my family and I rewatched for the thousandth time West Side Story and you see that overhead shot of New York City and you just know that somewhere down there, trouble is going to take place. But you're there looking from, you know, a relatively calm perspective and we get this opening shot which I love in the harder they come of the beach and the island and then we see the bus which is bringing Jimmy Cliff in from the country into the city it's almost like it's saying you think this is going to be an idyllic tourist film about the beauty of Jamaica guess what right. we have other thoughts for you I love that quiet before the storm thing that happens in a lot of films and I'm, I'm a big fan of that opening sort of shot there's a roadblock in the beginning you know when when that truck comes in the, um, the opposite way and it's stopping the bus and it's almost like telling them, hey man, you're not welcome. What does it stop? Bus crash up there, you know. 
Like, yeah. like already <laughs> pissed off, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's kind of like a precursor to what's about to come, you know? It's, yep. it's just like denied, you know? <laughs> like, even, even from the beginning as they're coming in, it's just like, bam! Now, I don't know if this would have been an influence on Perry Hensel at all, but see what you think. That opening bus ride where we see Jimmy Cliff as Ivan, he's looking at the back of the bus and he sees these guys driving past in a Cadillac and he's thinking, ah, that's what I want. The city's going to be wonderful. And I thought Joe Buck, Midnight Cowboy. Where's that Joe Buck? Where's that Joe Buck? Yeah, where's that Joe Buck? I'm Joe Buck from Texas. He's going to come to New York City and he's going to be a big stud and he's going to make his money off all these lonely women who want his body and he's looking idyllically. Oh, New York City is going to be fantastic before he realizes the truth once right. he gets there that it's grim and gritty. And I just right. really got that complete Joe Buck feel. At, it's at, definitely at the that, you know, that, that country boy with big ideas coming into the city. Right. The, that, the world is my oyster. Yeah, and then yeah. being really brought down um, to earth. You know, yeah. So he's in the city and it's all busy and he's looking a bit confused. He meets the guy with the trolley who's going to uh, right. push his bags for him and goes and tells him. Really, this opening line sets the tone for the film. If you have money, you're going away now. But if you have money, you're fat. Film you got film. money or fuck off. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That sets the tone for the whole film. It becomes his ethos. I want money. I want fame. And the big theme underlying a lot of what goes on is capitalism. And it's right. failure, really, at least. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Meet, uh, it fails to meet. And I'm not sort of trying to sound like a left commie bastard or anything like that. But, no. <laughs> But no, really, that is well, the message that ostensibly comes in the film. The capitalist thing works for people like the record producer. Sure. It doesn't well, work for it. the majority of the people in the film. And well, Ivan gets his first taste of it at that scene. When everybody else tries to do it, they're basically entrepreneurs. But when Ivan does it, he's a dick. Yeah. I understand it's, you know, you have a framework of the film, like a short two-hour time frame. But it's like, whereas the record producer and the police and the drug dealers, all these people are part of this network yeah, Ivan's yeah. just kind of like chop chop now where's my money now it's like you know but you just got the job yesterday yeah but I'm already ready to step up I want the money now and it's like no no man you, you gotta work for it you know and, and that's like, his thing he's too impetuous like I said earlier it's like he just wants instant fame he wants instant rewards as far as right. he's concerned it's like you know it's his due it's his right right and that's so, yeah. one of the things that like I was saying about the whole gangster <laughs> influence of the films of the present is that all these films are everybody Everybody just thinks it's owed to them. I'm gangster, yeah. man. So that could have been made in 2016. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Completely, completely relevant. Did you guys see the NWA story? I haven't. I haven't, no. Oh, well, a lot of the same elements are in that whole NWA biopic. You know, them getting ripped off by the label, and them growing up on the streets and having to sling this and deal that. And this story, it's not new. And, and But I, I, you know, yeah. but now that when you mentioned the record producer, I was thinking, wait a minute. And then you said, well, this could be made today. I'm thinking, this was made today. Yeah, it was the NWA biopic, you know? Like, right. Yeah, sign here. And remember, I control this business. It's interesting that we get all these different facets of society that fail Ivan and I'm holding back a little bit before I sort of go and say right about his narcissistic side but let's right. just see what works against him yes he does want the instant fame but he gets the preacher who wants Ivan to not play that accursed reggae music in his church and, and he doesn't want him fooling around with his ward and he just wants him to fall into line within his church we get the boss in the machine workshop who calls Ivan <laughs> out for dressing in his mind effeminately hey pretty boy 
and then uh, right. takes the bike that he's been working on. We get the record producer, who's probably the film's most obvious example of the man. Right. We, we get the ganja dealer, who wants Ivan to give him 20% of his sales for you know, absolutely no reason. For crying out loud, even Ivan's own mother wants to take his money. And Elsa, his yeah. wife, uh, spoiler alert, betrays him later on in the film. This film goes and has a go against organized religion, the workplace manager, family, the music industry, and even small business operators as all being corrupt and depriving him of his personal liberties. You know, So it's interesting. We get all these different representatives, society in all its many facets, You know, work, personal life, religion. Oh. Yeah. It's all failed him. Well, even in the yeah. beginning, when, when he goes back to visit his mom and his mom is sick, and, and she says, well, you, you can't get a job. Well, what are you going to do, be a criminal? And he's just like, hey, why do you say that? You know, and, and he's giving his mother shit in the beginning where she's already labeling him because you get the feeling from the beginning that this isn't the first time he's tried to come to town. You get a feeling, it's just kind of like she tells him, go back to the country. You know, this isn't for you. You're too wild. You're too impetuous. You know, like she's just got that kind of that vibe about her. They give you 10 cents then, mom. What's the matter with you young, healthy boys? All you know to do is beg, beg, beg. That's all you can do, just beg. To change the topic a little bit, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but one thing I wanted to say was about the cinematography in this film, that I noticed it drops down to like two levels to me, at least visually, is there's a lot of this film that is almost like cinema verte. Yeah, where it's like, yeah. you know, it's really almost like Mondo Kane, Jacopetti stuff, where it's like some guy on the street with a Super 8 camera on the back of a motorbike just filming, you know, like Kingston Town or, you know, people on their scooters and shit. And then the other level that they do with the film is that they go into this really gorgeous cinematography. I mean, it's like specifically, there's a point in the end where there's a shootout with Ivan in the army where he's up in the hillside near the end where he's scrambling down a, um, the side of a cliff on a road just really really gorgeous countryside that's really beautiful but but i think the film drops in and out of those where it's in seems like a lot of it's some guy just running down the street with a handy cam there's that scene where it, the kind of camera pans across it i mean it looks like just a giant rubbish dump and people are just kind of foraging through right the fine bits and pieces and then like you say total cinema verite but then you contrast that with the sort of scenes on the beach towards the end right yeah, yeah, the it's beautiful. Shot and, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's amazing, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally agree yeah. with you. To me, there's two different methods that Henzel takes with this that I, I really love. That it's got, he, he captures the grittiness, but he also captures yeah. natural beauty of Jamaica. That I just, it just pulls me in. The way he does it is seamless. It's, it's it really, it's not that jarring. I mean, no, you notice it, it feels natural, if you pay, it? if you pay attention, you notice it. But if if you're just watching the film as a whole, it just flows like that. Yeah, certainly a lot of it does look gritty. And I think Henzel's making the best use of what was, you know, I'm sure, a very limited budget. There are some things that sort of didn't really work for me. So, like, there, there are some scenes that were shot in the dark, and they're really in the dark. So I think there's this one moment right. where Ivan, he comes out of, I can't remember exactly whose house. He, he's been in someone's house who's been having a, a dalliance with, and the police are after him, and he comes out in his underwear. But that's yeah. <laughs> all, all very, very much in the dark, and I'm really struggling. Yeah, yeah. I think any of the negative 
negative things that I have about this film, and I don't think it's a perfect film, but any of the negative things I think are really more nitpicky things. Well, uh, I, I think on, a lot of the negatives of the film are, are probably more down to budget than anything else. Because, right. uh, as right. you say, I think Harry Hensel was working on a super low budget to do this. I'm sure if they'd had, had a bit more cash to splash around, they could have lit some of those scenes a little better. But the way a lot of it's shot, like I was saying with the cinema verite, it, it's almost like you're watching a documentary too. So if they overlight the thing too as well, you still get that feeling like you're watching a movie, yeah. you know what I mean? I know what you're saying, Morris, especially there was a part with Ivan goes after the girl who dobs him out and she's in the room and she says, oh my God, oh my God, you know, and it's just like, wait a minute, like, where is she? Oh, there she is. And then you hear bang, yeah. bang, and it's like... Let me ask you this, guys. A lot of the interviews that I either read or heard, there was a lot of talk about authenticity in this film, you know, so Perry Hensel said it in that bonus DVD extra and I read an interview with his daughter, Justine Henzel Perry, I think, died back in 2006, yeah. 2007. But the, right. the common word between both their interviews was authenticity, that a lot of this film was you know, tackled authentically. You know, it was based on a real person. A lot of the reactions from uh, the locals would have been things that really happened, had this authenticity about it. And yet I'm wondering, to your minds, does this film look gritty or does it look exploitation film gritty? And there's probably a difference because you already talked about cinema verite. Does it look like it's real violence or at least a really real conflict or does it look like the conflict of a narrative film? I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, certainly location-wise yeah. and how it's shot, it feels very real, very gritty. But when you uh, look at some of the violence, some of the mm-hmm. just dialogue and just general kind of storytelling, it does have that exploitation-y, not sort of writing down for your audience, but almost uh, that kind of shorthand. Some of it feels a little bit like, well, yeah, like exploitation films from the time. You know, the uh, the scene where he's having a fight with, is it, what's the guy called? Lego? Yeah, the boss. Yeah, the yeah, the, the church, yeah. yeah. Don't joke with your life, Langer. Give me my bicycle. If it's your bicycle, take it, man. That kind of fight they have, that's very, very tensiony, and that they must have got their blood from the same place as most Italian horror films. <laughs> That, that's what I was about to say, man. Yeah. Because it, you know, it, it's kind of ironic that he was watching Django because it's yeah. like that was almost like a yeah. scene right out of an Italian spaghetti western where he's slicing his face and you see like Absolutely. all this spaghetti sauce coming out of his ears and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah come I, on. But the uh, no, the scenes with sort of Ivan running around with his guns as well, and he's almost kind of striking the sort of you know gunfighter type poses and right. You can and then tell there's he's, he's the idea of it. There's a scene with the DJ and the cop where they they pull up their cars beside each other yes. <laughs> where the DJ's like you know when are you going to give this up man he's what do you mean well hey man you you got to let these guys do this you know like you know do you realize what you're doing not letting the weed come in like you know and like to me that's that's like a total exploitation film there big time you know yeah it's like Starsky and Hutch or something <laughs> Right, yeah. right. But yeah, I, I definitely think it's got exploitation elements, and I'm, I'm sure that was on purpose from Perry Hensel. Did not tell you I was going to be famous one day. 
even though we know that there's a lot of exploitation films of the time that were using what was very popular back then, soul music and funk music in America that was big. But I think that reggae music, given that you know, the nature of so many reggae songs is very political, and if you, especially like on this soundtrack when you get songs like you can get it if you really want it, which could sort of work in in a, a modern hip hop context, is you know very much about I want my mm-hmm. I want my stuff, I want things, yeah. and if I think about it, then I'm I'm going to get it. So really, the music and the action of the film tie in very much. I know that uh, Perry Hensel said, well, okay, we're getting Jimmy. Cliff to play, so we better throw in a musical side to it. They do more than that. The soundtrack to this film ties in perfectly with a lot of the scenes that guys narrated. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. How many rivers to cross, you know, when you see them just walking through town defeated. Yes. And, you know, looking for jobs, and, you know, and you see them sitting on the curb, and, you know, pulling under, not knowing what to do, you know? Or else, I mean, near the end, like sitting here in limbo, where, you know, it's like nobody knows what's going to happen, you know, and they're just, you know, in the water swimming and, you know, just, you know, frolicking around and they're just sitting beside the sea waiting to wonder what's going to happen. And then the other thing that I think would not work in a lot of other films, but it works in this film, is that a lot of other films you would only hear a song once. But in this film, you hear songs multiple times. And it's not annoying. And actually, in some ways, it's almost used in different ways where yeah, it you know the, the tone of the scene doesn't it right exactly yeah. because in a way yeah. and it's also sarcasm because you know in the beginning with jimmy cliff like you hear him say you know like he's singing you can get it if you really won't because he's all hungry but in the end it's almost like it's mocking him and it's like you know you can get sure, it yeah. if you really yeah. you know, like <laughs> it's almost like his dirge you know by the end of it so i you know i think that henzel wisely knew where to incorporate the songs in the film because there are times when like for example they go into a a pinball uh, arcade in the beginning when when uh, Ivan meets his buddy and then you know they're playing pressure drop in the background or and, and Johnny too bad you know and they're playing it you know, like really silently like a little like in the background so you can barely hear it and then there's other parts in the film when when it's loudest day the soundtrack's right up front what you're doing there is you know quite rightly you're sort of indicating okay so this song worked in this particular context in the film but i guess the point i was trying to make was about reggae music in its broadest terms because you know a lot of it's so political and you know so much about we we don't have the money to feed ourselves or it's a lot about social circumstances it's a lot about political circumstances so it's the the music as a whole was you know meant to be for a film like this the two go together not just individual songs because you know you could have had tailor-made songs written in a more american rock and roll type of context as as has been done but i'm saying as a as a political and social platform in in its lyrics the film and these songs you know completely complement each each other in that regard. Oh, big I just time, say, big uh, as, um, as, as far as the soundtrack goes, this is uh, kind of full disclosure here. This is the first time I've actually seen this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Same one thing. of those movies that uh, I'd always heard about and I'd always meant to get around to seeing, but uh, this was actually the first time. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll admit as well, I'm not the world's greatest reggae fan. I can kind of take it or leave it. But what I found really interesting watching this was that never having seen it, never having listened to the soundtrack, I knew every song in this film 
you know, I, I know this film is credited as being the film that really brought sort of Jamaican music reggae to a, a worldwide audience. But I was just amazed right. how these songs had just been absorbed by culture and are everywhere constantly. And let me ask you guys a question: What other soundtracks do you know where every single song? was just basically a hit bang on that's right i don't i don't can't think of anything right else. that's yeah. what i'm saying like, well it's not yeah. a bad song on the soundtrack you know there's not well so, well i mean looking up this would be a cheat but you could you know probably think of um what they call like a jukebox musical or something you know, like like the right. Blues brothers every song was already a hit in its original version before being yeah, that's reinterpreted. Kind of cheating, but, so, but some of these songs in the film had already been hit i mean they've been written by jimmy cliff right. but had been written right. by the people so uh you can get it if you really want to had already been recorded i think was it by desmond decker right some sometime before so not all these songs were written specifically for the film but once again no, no. they do work perfectly in the context of this film. no they stacked the deck Definitely. I mean, this is it's basically like a greatest hits of Jamaica, the whole soundtrack. But I'm just saying that it's not the same players on every song. I mean, it, it's just amazing how, you know, there was just so much great music that just came out that, you know, and, and it kind of bugged me in a way that, I mean, no swipe against Bob Marley. I mean, I love Bob, but everyone always thought he he was you know the end all and be all of of jamaican music and i was just like no 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 he's just scratching the surface i mean you know when you you get into guys like peter tosh jimmy cliff and the whalers i mean bunny whaler and all oh, there's like desmond decker. desmond decker yeah the maytals I mean, all of that stuff, man. It's just, you know, Bob Marley was just one in, you know, a million that were there putting out this incredible music. This soundtrack, to me, is so influential to so many things that came afterwards. You know, Bernie, when you hear Johnny Too Bad, do you hear The Clash? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see that definitely. Yeah. 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 The, the Clash covered Pressure Drop. Right. The Sandinista album that they put out, it's just, a lot of it is just directly, you can hear this album, man. I mean, like, those, the soundtrack with Sandinista. With The Clash, I think more so here in the UK, and certainly uh, Australia and Canada, we had sort of immigrants from the West Indies coming into the UK in the 50s and 60s. So th that kind of culture was more established in the UK. The so, whole rude boy culture, right? Yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think the original in the UK, we were, um, yeah, yeah. We were more aware of this kind of music, certainly, you know, the sort sure. of ska and calypso and things like that, right. which fed into reggae, perhaps, and, you know, other countries. But yeah, and, and again, and that's why I think bands like The Clash were really sort of picking up on that and putting it into what they were doing, you know? Well, I think that came into the conversation a couple of years ago when we discussed uh, your film Babylon, Bernie. Yes, uh, yeah. I I think it's time for me to revisit that. And un unlike uh, The Harder They Come, we didn't even have the benefit of subtitles on, on that one. And that was equally hard to uh, understand in places. Maybe yeah, it's, it's a great film, that one. It's worth a second look, definitely. I'll throw a couple of other films at you, uh, Tim, I'm sure that you've seen, but I haven't. Because uh, you mentioned Rockers before. Now, I know the soundtrack, but I haven't seen the film. And another film, which I think Scott Click has recently said he'd watched, called Countryman. Countryman, yes. Yeah, I know that film. Yeah, yeah, that's a great one, too. Wow. So the harder they come was like a, a precursor to those films. It's got things. Oh yeah, got that was the granddaddy, the granddaddy of them all. And like you know, what was kind of funny was how you were talking about. I wanted to just go back now for a minute. I don't mean to backtrack, but you're talking about the exploitation element of the film. You know, compared to like real narrative and that. I think that in Jamaica, like a lot of third world countries, you know, where there's extreme cases of poverty. 
people need their folk heroes and people need their legends that get one up on the man, you know. But at the same time, the people also have to deal with the reality where there's like what you want it to be and what it is, right? And I think that this film, with what you're talking about, Morris, with, you know, the political subtext of it all as well, is that you've got what, you know, the fantasy, like, for example, where he's king for a day driving a Cadillac around in a golf course. Yes. You know, that that, <laughs> that whole, you know, yeah, he, he's like, he living the life, but at the same time, the reality and where it, it, it ends up, you know, where he yeah. winds up taking it. That's a different thing. And I think it's important that Hensel shows both sides where he shows the intoxication, but he also shows the hangover as well. Talking about the fantasy, and we even get from a few lines in the song that even though Jimmy Cliff, or more to the point, you know, Perry Hensel in taking down the different facets of society, including religion, and yet you've got these lines in the song, you know, the oppressors are trying to keep us down, trying to drive me underground, and they think that they've got the battle won. I say, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they've done. Now, I'm no theologist, but I figured that, you know, that's a line famous in Christian theology, forgive them, Lord. They know not what they've done. And I've and once he's crossed that line, he goes and kills the cop and he decides he's going to be public enemy number one and he's tired of being picked on. I think he sort of develops some sort of Christ-like fixation. And sure. I just sort of found that you know interesting coming from the song and then into the film. And there's probably a, a good point at any to sort of talk about his narcissistic side. So, you know, he, he goes away with the ward of the priest who, you know, is not a really nice guy at all. But then, of course, as soon as he's got his prize, he just sort of walks away from her and, you know, hey, hey, babe, I'm going to go off and have some drink and have some ganja with my friends. And, you know, you just... But I, but I need you to get work. I can get work anytime. There's no, there's no problems. And you know, he's everything he does. He sort of does heartlessly. It's like I'm okay. The world's done wrong by me, right? Fuck them. I'm going to right. do things well, my way. And he's developed yeah. this, this, uh, this sort of false messiah fixation in mind. Right. Even you know the extremities in which he takes, you know, to get his bicycle back. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's a bicycle, yeah. man. It's a, it's yeah. just a fucking bicycle. You know, if it, you know, but you kind of gather is that he needs that bicycle to get to the studio it's his means of transportation or whatever i understand that but just the means in which he takes to get his bicycle back i'm like really (laughs) really the bicycle thieves could have been a very different film if uh, they'd taken that approach (laughs) again as i said earlier the the bicycle thief as directed by lucio fulci yeah (laughs) yeah yeah exactly exactly it's not that it didn't it didn't take me out of the film but a small complaint is like i said the actions that Ivan takes when he's kind of agitated in some circumstances is like for example first off was the bicycle and then was when he, he's being chased by that motorcycle cop and he winds up no no spoilers but he kills him yeah 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 and it's just like yeah. why he has that flashback to when he gets caned and he gets smacked on the ass right because he yeah. you know when he when he was pissing you know that that was the funny thing where he's pissing on the floor when they got him bent over that barrel it's like yeah. Jesus Christ, but I mean, he's like, I'm not having that again. So he kills. He says, I'm going to kill a cop. You know, it's like it just to me, it seemed rather extreme. You know, it, it was is, just uh, this is what I, I was going to say to him. Do you think the kind of Ivan's character arc from where he is at the beginning of the film to where he is at the end of the film? Do you think it works, or do you think he makes certain decisions and does certain things which really more serve the plot than they do his character? I think he's a guy who's too big for his britches. He borrows more 
than he realizes he has to repay. And I don't and I don't mean that just in money. I mean that karmically sure, or yeah, just yeah. through the whole thing, you know. And you know what really he reminds me of is when I watch this now, come to think of it, is Pacino's performance as uh, Tony Montana in Scarface. Shut to my little Oh shit! Yeah, you could see a huge influence in Scarface. Yeah, of this because yeah, yeah. Because the minute anybody says anything to Ivan, or he's just like, "Where's the money?" Well, well, I don't know. No, no, I want the money now. Like you know, like I deserve the money. Like you know, he's just got that whole pit bull mentality. You know, whereas other people would say, "Okay, well, let's be sensible about this, or let's try to take it down a couple of notches." He's like, "No, no, full on." And everything he does, it's like when he's chasing that guy, he's chasing Jose down the road, and he's shooting at him when all these kids are chasing behind yeah, him. Yeah, He's yeah, yeah. looking for me? I come to shoot your bl- Yeah. Running around with a yeah. pistol like, come back, you son of a bitch. I know where you live. I'm going to kill you, dad. You know, like, yeah. To me, that's like something that Montana would do in Scarface, you know? I mean, it's just a, a guy who's just full-on id, but he doesn't have anything else. He's just got that, that hunger and that right off the tip of his head, just, you know, whatever whatever comes into his mind or whatever he's feeling at that moment, he just, ugh, you know, he just does it, you know? I'd also make the suggestion, Bernie, that his character maybe hasn't uh, developed beyond uh, a sort of childlike, I want it. Yeah, and I, and I very want much, it. Sure. Yeah. I want it now. His, his environment, we don't know anything, at least on the screen, what his character was like in the country. Uh, sure. What, he might have been watching television television he might have been reading books he might have any sort of thing that said if you get a job and you work hard you'll be rich if you go into a recording studio and perform a song you'll get to be rich and he just sort of believes that and when that dream doesn't come true he can either take the defeatist attitude and let society walk all over him or he can say well i want it and i want it now and i'm gonna do what i have to so i think in a way it's a very childlike thing Um, absolutely yeah the other thing i wanted to uh, ask you guys was about Jimmy Cliff and his performance do you um, you know because he's, he's obviously not an actor but he certainly has a certain amount of charm and charisma and he, I think he's got enough chops to pull off what he needs to in the film and I just I just wondered whether you guys thought he was successful would the film have worked without him with if it was somebody else uh, in that role who knows Who it depends obviously who they uh, could have picked but I totally believed him in the role I'd say though my one quibble and this might be more of a thing about it being a first film like a first thing for Perry Henzel than anything else but despite the fact of the scene so like where he's cutting up the guy in the machine shop I never really sort of felt that he was as completely badass as yeah. he thinks yeah. he is so it's he's not talk- quite menacing enough is he no no he, he's, he's not I mean what he does he cuts out that guy and you think oh he's not to be tampered with and yet from a filmic perspective I never really found him threatening I mean he does some yeah. pretty horrible things but you, you never sort of get that sense of dread before he does what he's going to do and I imagine though if the film was being made again if there was being a remake here in 2016 they'd probably go too far the other way And to argue against that though I would say that you're not really surprised supposed to feel dread from the guy you're supposed to feel kind of like pathos you're looking at him and he thinks he's a badass you know he's not a badass but it's just the way that he comes across it's just like, i'm a bad man don't fuck with me ah uh-huh. you know and everyone's like yep. yeah okay whatever yep. you know he's a film bad man so there are certain tropes yeah i guess the audience is expecting but maybe they are expecting it but i think the way it's presented to me he's trying to wear clothes that were never meant for him 
right? Sure. And that's would you do you think he's, way... he's put in that position because of certain things that occur, and then how he is kind of like public enemy number one? Is, is he just trying to live up to that image? Is he just trying to be yeah, be that bad? I think when he's yeah, not really. No, that's what I'm saying. Is I think I think yeah, it's almost yeah. like it's almost like alcohol, where he's just becoming more and more intoxicated, and he's getting high off his own supply. He's, he's got his head so far up his ass, he's just sniffing farts. Sure, and yeah. By the end, not to spoil the film, but in the end, where there's a line where he says, you know. Bring out somebody who can draw. Bring out somebody who can draw, you know? And he just, you know, and he's strutting around like a strutting cock, you know, like an old rooster. And, and it's just like, no, 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 no. And eventually, you know, it, it catches up with him, right? But I think yeah. uh, through, the, through the whole progress of the film, I don't think he's ever meant to be threatening. I think he's just, he's a legend in his own mind. When all these other guys are saying, oh, Ivan, oh, Ivan, you know? And then, and when that guy gets him to sign his picture, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, it's just like, and it just swells his head up even more, you know, and it's just, to me, it's the whole film is about the laws of gravity is that the higher you go, it's just the only way to go is down. Well, the harder they come, the harder they fall, Tim. And then the harder they come, the harder they fall, one and all. All right, so I'd say we've probably covered as much as we can on the on the story. So just final thoughts, Bernie, your final thoughts on the film and the see here rating of thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, okay. We've uh, yeah, we've implemented a thumbs up, thumbs down rating system. I think so. What do, what do you reckon? Is, is it is it okay. you know, not, not too formal and, and just no. Yeah, let's, no let's let's actually for just this episode, let, let let's do it by the number of spliffs. <laughs> you were going to say? <laughs> are you going to are you going to give it? Are you, let's say let's say five split five spliffs is a, is a ten, and we'll say you know like one spliff is okay. So how many spliffs would you give this, Bernie? I'd give it four spliffs. I, I have to not having seen it for so long finally getting around to it it kind of more than lived up to its reputation i think it's got a definite charm to it it's you know all the positive things we were saying it works as a kind of timepiece a window into that kind of time and place the music as i said i knew it all anyway and it yeah. was great yeah no absolutely i'd, I'd give it a four uh, four spliffs out of five yeah all right morris i will give it four shots of jamaican rum oh, all right. <laughs> sorry come on that. morris all right I, okay i'll give it four spliffs but all uh, right with four shots of jamaican rum <laughs> oh. uh look as, as i said i there are little weaknesses with the film, but really they're more nitpicky things. And um, I mean, I, you know, things like the character being able to keep off the entire police force and the entire army with one six shooter. But right, yeah. But this is a film that you watch with a certain spirit, and you sort of think, yeah, I know what you were going for there. And it's well, it's a uh, suspension of disbelief to a certain extent, isn't it? Right. You have absolutely, to. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So taken with that, yeah. Look, I. Well, Definitely give it the full thumbs up, spliffs, Jamaican rum shots, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it would would urge people out there who haven't seen it to watch it, and if you have, do it again. All right, I I definitely want to give this uh, five six sheeters out of five because uh, <laughs> six sheeters. Wow. Yeah, because I, uh, to me, this this film is important to me in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I love this film to death, and that's, you know, one of the main reasons why I chose it. You know, it's a great summer film, but for a lot of people that are not really familiar to cult cinema, I find that when some try to introduce their friends to cult cinema, a lot of people take the horror approach 
you know, introducing them to stuff like Texas Chainsaw or whatever or else. A lot of people take the art house approach and they try to introduce them to stuff like Eraserhead and things like that. And I find that both of those examples can be kind of hard on a lot of people. And because, you know, some people are not exactly into horror and Eraserhead can be a little bit too cerebral or weird for uh, all certain audiences. But I think this film, specifically as a cult film, this is a great introductory film to cult cinema, I think, for anyone who they want to ask, what is a cult film? I think this is something that is, you know, you can put this on and say, look, just watch this. You can see why this has such a, a lasting uh, impression, you know, over the years. It's not just the soundtrack. It's the incorporation of the soundtrack with the film itself. It's Jimmy Cliff's performance. It's the beautiful cinematography. It's just, you know, the suspension of disbelief. And then also the connection with this film to like everything that came afterwards. Like I said, like Scarface. You can look at a lot of the Hong Kong cinema, like John Woo, all those gangster films, you know. I think a lot of them, you know, like the larger than life gangsters, all of it. I think this film is a predominant major, major influence for cult cinema. And like I said, I'm, I'm giving this five, six shooters out of five. Nice. Yeah. Um, before I go and ask you, Bernie, what uh, film you've picked for next month, this is something I probably should have done at the beginning of the episode, forgot to do. Now, if you'd listened to uh, last month's episode, I mentioned that um, we we're going to be having very special guest, Mr. Terry Frost of uh, Paleo Cinema and the Martian Drive-In podcast, come and join us. Now, unfortunately, uh, health issues had meant that he wasn't available. So hope you're feeling better, Terry, and uh, we'll definitely be having you on for a film at a uh, later stage. I know that there was some yeah. level Get of excitement. Well, Terry. Yeah, uh, I feel better, Terry. Bernie, your pick for uh, for August. Uh, okay, we are going to watch Uli Lommel's 1980 film Blank Generation, starring uh, Richard Hell. Um, ah. and I think maybe the Voidoids are in there as well, possibly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, one I've I've never seen, but it's uh, certainly a period and a sort of scene in in music that I I keep going back to and that I'm fascinated by. And so this is a big one I want to uh, check off the uh, list. So uh, I figure maybe uh, we guys can talk about it next month. That's a good excuse. Good call, Bernie. That's yeah. that's, yeah. Why, call that's Bernie. why we have this. That's why we have this program to get all the uh, iconic and not so iconic. Absolutely, music yeah, yeah. Films crossed off our list, we get forced to watch things. And really, I mean, look, the thing is, you know. I know that, Tim, you picked The Harder They Come this month, and it was a film, you know, like Bernie, it was a film that I'd always been aware of and, you know, knew all the material, but had never gotten around to watching the film, and I'm grateful to you, I should say, for picking this film, because it meant... Yeah, absolutely, me too, We had to discuss it, so we uh, we got around to watching it. Well, when we started the podcast, you know, I know you had your Christmas list, and Bernie, you probably had your own Christmas list, and I sat down off the top of my head and said, well, these are the ones that are inevitable down the line, and that was one of my first three, actually, that I thought, man, like, wow. yeah, without a doubt, you know, yeah, yeah. All right. So, any other uh, little bits of business? If you uh, want to write to us, uh, you can send us an email at seeherepodcast at gmail dot com. If you're not already on our Facebook page, why? We've uh, you know we, we'd like to get a few more people there and starting up some conversations. But you can join us at facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash is it see here podcast or just see here? I don't know. Anyway, look, just do a search. It's just uh, see here. Well, yeah, there, right. There you go. I wanted to say one thing before we go. There's a lot. Between the three of us, you know, there's so many films that we want to cover, you know, in, in, in for the for the show. But I know for a fact that we all have our blind spots, and so that's why we're depending on you, the listeners, 
to basically fill us in because I know for a fact there'll be times we'll be talking about films and somebody out there somewhere sitting on a bus or sitting anywhere else listening to the show and they're saying, God damn it, why didn't you cover this? Or why aren't you covering that? Or, oh, you guys have to cover this, you know? So, hey, yeah, the only way, we can, only way we can find out is by sending us an email. And we, we encourage you. As a matter of fact, we, we do more than encourage you. We demand <laughs> that you basically tell us what you want us to cover. Right. And, and then we'll turn around and demand that you put your ass on the podcast. Yes, and that's absolutely. A fact. absolutely. That's we, a fact. We want, we're always uh, more than willing, more than happy to have uh, people out there. If you know, if you can string a couple of sentences together and really, given the, the pack of lab mouths that we are, you'll probably only get a couple of sentences. If you wish to join us on the podcast to talk about your chosen film, then we'd be more than happy to have you. We're friendly and really that's that's what we want to know we we want to know why these films are important to you and and what meaning you derive from them so the only way we can really find that out is by having you come on and share your piece and you know like that's what this is all about our community is not just listening to three of us blather on every month but we want to have other people come on as well and like we said, you know, share their knowledge and uh, share their love of, of certain things and why things have so much meaning to them. That's that's what I really enjoy the most out of the podcast. Absolutely. There's all the housekeeping and our demands of you, the audience. So next month is Blank Generation. So I think that's pretty much all covered. Another wonderful time as usual, chaps. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. And um, I th- Thank you, guys. And uh, I th- Thank we'll, you. S- we'll see you all next month on See Here. Please tell your friends. Please let, us, let them know that we exist. We don't care whether you write iTunes reviews or not. Just go call up your mates, send them a Facebook message and say, hey, listen to this podcast. They talk about music films. That's that's enough. We don't care about iTunes reviews. Unless you want to do it, but, you know, we don't. You know, it's, we won't say no, but at the no, same time. No, of course know. not. But, but, it's, but it's not. If first and foremost is tell your friends we exist. We're pathetic. We're not the butt begging. Well, I'm not anyone. All right. Okay. Cheers until uh, episode 31 of See Here. Be nice to each other. Lo- watch lots of movies, music-related, non-music-related. Read lots of books, music-related, non-music-related. Listen to lots of records, music-related. Oh, I don't know where to go there. Listen to lots I'll, of records. I'll, um, I'll put out my copy of um, Metal Machine Music. I guess that's not really music-related, is it's it? It's not music-related. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, gents. Okay. And until next Cheers. Month, cheers. Take yep, care. Thanks. thanks. Yep. Bye. I say forgive them long that they know not what they've done Cause as sure as the sun will shine I'm gonna get my share what's mine And then the harder they come, the harder they fall It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.